Father, may my words fall to the floor. May yours soar. Psalm 19, may the meditations of my heart, may the words of my mouth be acceptable in your sight. Lord, may we receive, may all receive from you today. God, may the hard-hearted be softened. May the defensive and resistant be open. And may those who come today already open and ready to receive, may it be multiplied in their lives today. Lord, and may it impact people that aren't in the room. We're all connected to others, and I pray that our connection with you would be so real today that it would deepen and broaden our connections with others. And this we pray in Jesus. Amen. Before you sit down, I want to honor those of you who brought your Bible today. So if you brought a Bible, turn to Matthew 6. We've been line by line, verse by verse, and uh, you know it. But uh, turn to Matthew chapter 6. And while standing, everybody that has a Bible or access to a Bible, Matthew 6, and let us read um, verses 7 through 13 out loud together. Would you do, do that with me? And uh, some of you are going to start reading, and you don't, you're not going to need to look at the book anymore. And you're going to be proud. And God's going to smite you. Y'all ready? Every voice. I'm, and I might do like what the song leaders do, like they get you started and then they pull back and like it's you. And then you get nervous. Or I do. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do. For they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then like this. Here we go. Make some noise. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Well, everybody knows we're talking about prayer. And the disciples came and said, Jesus, teach us to pray. And we all just said it out loud, His response. But don't think it's a formula, right? Don't think it's a, perform, a formula. And like any great teacher, a master teacher, I always say this about Jesus because he is, man. His words have penetrated the deepest parts of who I am. I want to sit at his feet and feast on his words. And Jesus teaches us, hey, this isn't a formula. It's not a sequential order that you follow, but it's just, it's just a, a, a posture and a pattern of your heart and your life. In fact, the, the sermon title, the sermon series title, repeat after me, is not a, hey, jump into the formula as much as it is, hey, let's really follow Jesus. Like, let's repeat after him his life. In fact, let me tell you, sometimes you ever feel this way that prayers need to be beautiful and poetic? And some people pray, like, I got a book in my library. It's called Gorillas of Grace. Isn't that a good title? It makes you want to read it. Gorillas of Grace. And it's just got some of the most beautiful prayers. And I, I've read them through the last few years. Uh, I've never read the book through. I just take it off the shelf and glance at it and see other people's prayers. And there's beauty and poetry and rhythm and cadence. And can I just tell you, starting today, I just uh, in this message, I just want to tell you about the prayer that I've been praying a lot lately. And it's different than, whoop, it's different than the beauty and the poetry that you see. It's just this prayer that I've been offering up to God. Here, you take it. That's it. Here, you take it. And you say, well, Robert, what about the order? Because Jesus said, when you pray, start with our Father, hallowed be your name, thy kingdom come. Here's what I want to say to you. I've been praying this a lot, and I, I, I've started with it a bunch. Here, you take it. Because I get tired, I can't take it anymore. I can't carry it anymore, no longer. And then I, I pray that prayer because that's where I start. I didn't go to a, a formula. 
for prayer. I just started with my heart. It, it, it's a longing and it's a need. It's a need in my life. Here, you take it. And then I think his name is hallowed. I'm praying to our father. He is my father and he cares. Peter would say a close follower of Jesus. First Peter 5, 7, cast all your care. Fishermen, cast all your care. Human beings, you and me, cast all your care on him because he cares for you. And then I start with this prayer. Here, you take it. And it's not irreverent. It's from my heart and I've seen God. Look, there's been renewal in my life at times and it started with simple prayers like this. So can I just green light you to not try to follow a formula, but to put your heart before God and here's the beautiful thing. He's our father. Hallowed is his name. What does that mean? We looked at it in, in the first week and we're several weeks into the series, but we looked at it. Hallowed be thy name. And why does God desire your worship? Is, I've asked you this question before in years past, but is, is God some sort of cosmic narcissist that needs you to prop up his fragile ego? Like, why does he need you to praise him? C.S. Lewis says that praise, I love this, it's inner health made audible. Think about it for a second. It's inner health made audible. In other words, something is good. Something in life connects with you and you know that it is good. Remember when God created, he created and he said, it is good. And you, you, you're experiencing something and it is good. And what do you do when you experience something good? There's a joy inside of you that you want to express to other people. Because it ain't a lot of joy if it's unexpressed joy. Kind of like love. Kind of like peace. Kind of like all the virtues that God gives. And you just want to tell someone about it. Any, any Ole Miss baseball fans in the room? Any Ole Miss baseball? Any Ole Miss baseball? Imagine, just pretend with me that you win your regional. And then you win your super regional. And then you go to Omaha and you win the natty. Imagine that. And imagine that you're not allowed to cheer during any of that, which by definition, an old Miss fan would be throw beer. But you're not allowed, you're not allowed to cheer at all. Mississippi State, a fan, a baseball. Imagine you win your regional. You win the Super You go to Omaha. You win the national championship. But you're not allowed to cheer. Imagine that. What a, what a tragedy that would be. If you're not allowed to express the joy, and that's what worship is. Don't think it's us propping up God's fragile ego. No, we, when we give him the glory that he is due, it brings goodness and grace to our own lives, and we're expressing joy, and it just it's inner health made audible. And that inner health that's made audible, that's expressed, comes back, and it's reciprocal, and it adds to greater health. I, I, I laugh at times when people see such an incompatibility with faith and science, and I, I see how worship is scientifically sound. And when we say, hallowed be your name, we're reminding ourselves and exalting God and showing reverence that he is higher, but he is our father and he is near and he is close. And there is in this prayer as we come today, we're coming to this part of the prayer here, where we, what we will look at today is when Jesus tells us to pray, give us this day our daily bread. There, there is a, a pronoun shift in the prayer. Uh, I, I taught you week one that in the original lang Greek language, the prayer uh, was given in 57 words. And there's this pronoun shift at this point. We've gone from, you know, we've gone from hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done, to give us this day our daily bread. Your name, your kingdom, your will, us, our, give us our daily bread. God, we need to hear from you. When it comes to this expression 
of bread. There's lots of slang expressions. I was looking those up earlier and thought I would bring none of them to the church today uh, before you. But there are expressions of bread, but it means it gives, uh, it points us to, to many things. And honestly, uh, today, I think for hearers, we have to think if our, if we're stocking our shelves and stuffing ourselves and all we know is abundance, then it, it's kind of an odd prayer to pray this, give us this day our daily bread, because I bet you have bread today. I bet you've had it, unless you're on that diet, but you've had food today, and you'll probably have more food, and then you're not worried, many of you are not worried about what food you'll have tomorrow, and it's a, a complicated relationship. We live somewhere between gluttony and Weight Watchers. Go into a gas station and look at the magazines. And on the cover of the magazines, you'll see hard bodies, tan and tight and taut, glistening and chiseled. And right next to those magazines with those bodies on the cover are candies and chocolate and cinnamon and those shrink-wrapped mini frosted donuts. And then there are walls of refrigerated, sugary, carbonated drinks. One magazine I was looking at yesterday, when the weekend comes, I get in sermon mode and your mind can't get off of it. But I was looking at one magazine that it had these succulent desserts, sinfully decadent desserts. And it said uh, details on page 70, which probably means recipes. But at the corner of that, it had a woman with nary much clothes on and it said hey how to get rid of 10 pounds and that unsightly cellulite before beach weather and we're somewhere between barbie and the bulge we're somewhere between hey do we turn to page 70 for the desserts or page 83 for the beach body and it's this it's this complicated relationship that we have with food so two words for note takers or just log this here for perspective today as we consider how these ancient words could ring uh, true to us today Uh, the the first word is 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 feasting and the second word put it right next to it it's fasting and for feasting think about in scripture back in the parts that we don't read enough numbers and leviticus and deuteronomy and those places it has stuff about uh it has stuff about, not yet on that slide, it has stuff about uh, the Feast of Tabernacles and the Feast of the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread uh, and the Feast of Weeks and on the Feast of Harvest. And none of these feasts are quiet, little, somber, mild-mannered tea parties. I don't know if you know that. But these were, these were feasts that were essentially festivals and it was a time of like shout at the top of your lungs, dance in the streets, and let's have a party and let's celebrate God's abundance. But then contrast feast with fasting, a vanishing art, a lost practice that we need to get back today. Remember we said a week or two ago that when the primary, the early followers of Jesus were not necessarily known as believers of the creed, they were known as followers of the way. And how part of how they followed Jesus is they understood the feasting and the fasting. Yes, it was a part of the religious tradition. Yes, Jesus brought newness and freshness to their understanding and application of it. But it was a part of them. Who feasted, uh, who fasted rather in the Bible? Moses, the lawgiver, David, the king, Daniel, the seer, Esther, the, the queen, Elijah, the prophet, Anna, the prophetess, uh, Paul, the apostle, Jesus himself uh, fasted. 
And in this, now Eric, in this, the, the feasting we would see, we could put it this way, the feasting is lavish celebration. It's rest, it's joy, it's abundance, it's giving thanks to God. God gives us bread, aren't you glad? God gives us food from the earth and it's, it's used to strengthen our bones and straighten them and it's, uh, it lends joy to our gatherings. How many memories do you have that are special? I bet in some ways they, they, they centered around food. And there's festivity and feasting there. There's abundance. And we stop and say, God, every bite, every breath, every day, every dollar is from you. And we do that together because everything's better together. And that's what feasting is. But by contrast, there's fasting. And fasting, though fraught with misunderstanding, not a legalistic practice, but it's a humbling, seeking, refining, disciplining, waiting, and testing. When I'm fasting, I'm humbling myself and realizing that I have limits. I'm testing to see what is in my heart, what I crave and what I long for, and what my real needs really are. And then it moves me to worship. The denial, the frugality, the simplicity moves me to worship God in greater detail. There are four, uh, if you look, there are hundreds of mentions of bread in the Bible. When we say Jesus said to pray, give us this day our daily bread, here are four meanings. I sort of coalesce these, if you will. Four things bread means in the Bible out of hundreds of mentions. There's specific passages here. I just picked one for your understanding or note-taking, but there are so many on all of these. Bread represents the necessities of life. God, every dime, every dollar, every breath, every bite, it comes from your hand. Uh, I can't produce on my own. You have given it to me, and God, I need it. The God's Word, Deuteronomy chapter 8, you know, they would, they would, they would remember what they needed to forget and forget what they needed to remember. And there was abundance there. But man does not live by bread alone, but by the word of God. The third um, meaning in the Bible with bread is God's family, 1 Corinthians 10, 16. In a second, I'll show it. And then the fourth is salvation. There's Jesus with the cup. We, we, we participated in that um, last Sunday. And let me be honest, uh, it's hard to practice. We've talked about this as leaders. How can we make communion more meaningful? And you see that the breaking of bread in scripture uh, was it was abundance. It wasn't about scarcity. And so you see me standing up here and we got the little cups, you know, we got the wafers and we're pulling and, you know, doing this and instructing you. And there's the logistics of it all. And nothing's wrong with it at all. In fact, there's even some value in saying, hey, it's just a little bit, but it represents so much. But oftentimes, uh, and this is the teaching in Matthew 26, Jesus with his followers right there, the closest ones, that it's salvation. We participate the blood and the body broken uh, for us. First Corinthians 10 says this, it's so beautiful, is not the cup of thanksgiving for which we give thanks a participation in the blood of Christ and is not the bread that we break a participation in the body of Christ. And then the next passage, I don't have it, but it talks about how there's one loaf and like we share in that and that's the body. It's us being together. I just, listen, we've, we've hunkered down. We've sequestered. We've lived in large part in isolation. We've all done different things. We've been divided. We've been mean spirited. We've been lobbing our rightness toward other people's wrongness. And now we're coming out of this thing. We pray, but listen, we are called to be together. We are called to be a body and bread represent, it is a communal symbolism in scripture that we share this uh, together. So I want to give you today, 
I want to give you a couple of uh, implications or meanings of this prayer. Give us this day our daily bread. The first is this. Uh, you may not like it, but um, this prayer declares our dependence. I was listening to an old country music station this week. Windows down, volume turned up. And anybody remember Martina McBride, Independence Day? Y'all remember that song? And I just, you know, I turned it up. And I don't, I don't necessarily do well with the female singing thing, like, you know, singing to, with them. But it was great song. And I, I think uh, late 90s, that song came out. You know, Independence it's like, yeah, you're like, go girl. Yeah, get, get your independence. And it's different than some of those independent songs. It's actually uh, pretty tragic. Uh, she She's in an abusive relationship. And then you start hearing what she's saying. And you're like, yes, like get out of there and dump the dude. He has mistreated you. There's abuse. Go, like go, girl, get your independence. And we celebrate that uh, as a nation uh, this summer, just in a, a couple of weeks. We'll have a feast, probably many of us, and we'll be festive about it. And there'll be abundance and fireworks and a lot of things, but we'll celebrate our independence. In fact, when we're not independent, well, we, when we don't feel it, when we protest taxation without representation, we throw tea in the harbor. We want to be independent people. Don't you like your independence? Uh, I, we, someone came over to the house a couple nights ago. They were telling us about a girl they like, and, and it's like, oh, yes, yeah, she's independent and I'm like oh, oh okay all right that's some good in that but there's some you know, all right come 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 over later if y'all get married but uh we, we celebrate our independence but have you known anybody to, to celebrate their dependence anybody celebrate their dependence and I, I chose the words carefully here as I think about the meaning of the Lord's prayer and what Jesus is inviting us to pray when he says, give us this day our daily bread. But we declare our dependence on God because as the Bible says, God helps those who help themselves. Right? The Bible says, anybody wait? God, it says it in the Bible, God helps those who help. Are you gonna challenge the preacher on this, from the third row? Theresa is right. Theresa is right. It comes from uh, Aesop's fable. Long time ago, an ancient truth that has credence to biblical truth, but that's not in the Bible. God helps those who help themselves. Listen, God's given you a mind. God's given you a body. God's given you a will, and he wants you to use that. Having faith in God doesn't give you a free pass to study for tests or to exercise to get in shape or have a good attitude and show up at work on the regular. None of that, faith in God doesn't give you a free pass. Take the initiative, assume some responsibility, get after it. Be proactive, as the best-selling business books say. So, God helps those who help themselves. Yes, there are things, listen, generally speaking, generally speaking, God will not do for you the things that he wants you to do for yourself and for others, generally speaking. But the problem that we have in life, uh, one of the things that drives us to church and into counselors' offices and into therapy and into groups and into friendship is, hey, how do I manage this in my life? Because I can't do much about this. This is over my head. And, but when we declare our dependence, we're saying, I need help. Listen, can I just say in love, you need help. I'm probably talking to the men more than the women, but you need help. Turn to the person next to you, no matter their gender, and say, you need help. When you leave church today, hey, this will be fun. When you leave church today, find a stranger, someone you don't, you don't know who they are. Just look at them and say, you need help. <laughs> when you go out to eat at Piccadilly's or Arby's or wherever you're going today, look at someone you don't know and say, hey, you need help. <laughs> After you've eaten your food, tell them at the restaurant, 
you need help. Listen, you need help, and I need help. And if we don't get help, problems will turn into crises, and bad habits will turn into addictions, and the inability to resolve conflict will lead to divorce. And not having a budget will end in debt and shame. Debt leads to shame. Anybody know that? You wouldn't acknowledge it because you're ashamed of it. But debt leads to a burden and to shame. Sometimes I wonder when we offer a financial peace class why a lot of people don't show up. I think there's shame to debt that we don't want to, we want to learn about it from home. We want to go to a counselor. We want to get one person to help us via a podcast or something. But to go into a group and to learn about it, there's shame involved in the debt. But if you don't get help, if you have a problem with procrastination, it could lead to unemployment. If you have a problem with flirtation, it could lead to an affair. We need to get help and we need to ask for help. And when we say, God, give us this day our daily bread, we are declaring our dependence. It's not an open celebration. In fact, just the opposite. Oftentimes it's a bow down. I think I've shared with some of you that I have a friend, a godly person. I admire them. Very, very different than me, but just, a, I think, a sweet walk with Jesus. And this person puts their toothbrush under their bed at night before they go to sleep. And I'm kind of a germ person. I would never do that. But they, the idea there is they want to roll out of bed and hit their knees. And when they hit their knees to get their toothbrush, it's a time for them to take a few, for them to take a few minutes to pray and to bow down. That is a posture. I've taught this to some of you before, but bow your heads, close your eyes is not in scripture. Nothing wrong with it. You'll hear me saying it sometimes. I just want to try to eliminate distractions when we're in a big room like this. But, bowing down and kneeling before the father ephesians 3 and other places that's in there and just we declare our dependence and say god we need you what help do you need i was looking through scripture this week and thinking of some people who ask for help zachariah and elizabeth wanted a family they asked god for a son gideon needed confirmation that he was doing the right thing so he asked god for confirmation solomon had a new job a new gig and he asked god for wisdom elijah prayed and asked god that it that it would not rain paul had something very thorny in his life it hurt him and it got in his way and he kept marching on but yet it bothered him and he would pray over and over uh, god remove this from me he asked god to remove it from him um in the midst of asking, I see or looking at scripture for those who ask for to, to and declare their dependence, their need for God. There's there's fathers in the New Testament that are praying for their daughters to get well. The disciples, they're praying for boldness. The apostles are praying that Jesus would return. There are prayers of dependence. Here's what I want to ask you today. What are you asking God for? What are you asking God for? Is there anything to the point that's succinct and concise and simple and short, but man, it's powerful. It's a need and it's ever present in your life. Here, you take it. God, I'm tired. I, I, I need you. I, I can't keep carrying this burden. You take it. What, what is it in you today? You need help. We need help. And this invitation is a declaration of dependence. God, will you help me? And let me say it, kind of backtracking here a little bit. Get the help that you need. Call out for the help. And God will do it, wants to do it vertically and horizontally with people in your life. 
But just as David, 1 Samuel 13, 30, stops and it says, David strengthened himself in the Lord. Some of you need that strength, don't you? What, what is the daily bread? What is it that you're asking for? You need help. And if we don't get help, uh, it's probably in many ways not going to get any better. What are you asking him for today? Think for a second. It's easy to rush through this hour. We, we want to get going. We want to get moving. But what is it that you're asking him for? There's an ancient account of Moses and some of his buddies and Moses is praying and they're in the battle with some really despicable and uh, an evil army on the opposing side. And Moses is weary. Here, you take it. And, and God blesses him in battle and victory, but also just the fellowship of his brothers who hold his arm up. They hold his arms up. And when the arms are held up, there's power there. What do you need? What battle are you in? Give us this day our daily bread. It declares our dependence. They don't make any songs about it, but we need to make it a part of our lives. The second thing that happens uh, that is a part of the implications of this is not only does it declare our dependence, but it calls us to contentment. Notice the passage there says, give us this day our daily bread. Not uh, give us a lot so we can store it up and be set for life like everybody wants that don't you i mean who doesn't want to be set for life i've heard some stories i've read some stories about lottery winners and trust fund babies here i'm not being judgmental i'm just dropping some stuff on you here but like uh, people who are set for life often aren't set for life like we have stories of this in the bible the best-selling book of all time but ecclesiastes 2 hey i had everything my eyes desired everything that my heart wanted everything that i looked at i, I refused myself no pleasure nothing I, I went for it all i was set for life but i wasn't set and this prayer is like daily give us what we need today Pretend that you're a parent. Some of you don't have to. You have a couple of children. They're little, and they come to the breakfast table, and they, uh, they're ready, and you have the breakfast from the gods, Fruit Loops, waiting on them. And the Fruit Loops are there, and they start eating the Fruit Loops, but they take the, the box of Fruit Loops, both of them, little stinkers, and they put the Fruit Loops in little plastic bags. And then you ask them, you would be curious, you, you ask them, what are you doing? And they say to you, oh, we didn't know if you were going to feed us tomorrow. How would you respond? You would say, tomorrow is my job. You worry about today. And here's the thing that bright, smart, successful, capable, advanced, intelligent people miss. is God's got tomorrow. And I bet a good portion of us are getting eaten up by tomorrow and that's God's job and if you're a good parent and you're probably not if you're feeding them fruit loops but forget that part of the illustration right but if you're a good parent you're feeding your child and if you're feeding them today you probably have plans to feed them for tomorrow and so do I need to be worried about what God's not worried about do I need to live in today and so few people do. I, I found this picture a couple of days ago. It meant a lot to me for reasons some of you may know. But here's a, a golden retriever with his two humans. And does that stir up anything in you? Poor guy. 
He's like, I'm right here. Put down your devices and be present. And who are you in this picture? I'll make it easy for you. You're a human, right? You are one of these. You're the one looking at the device. You're the one who's not present in today. You're not in the moment. You're looking at something that's stirring you up. And, 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 and I'm guilty of this too, uh, so I'll change my pronoun. But we are looking at stuff that stirs us up. And it, it creates a discontentment in us because we're not pleased to be in the moment. This guy is very pleased to be in the moment. This guy is right where he wants to be. He just wants others to be with him. Who are you hurting in your life today? How is it stunting your worship and your joy and your vitality when you're not content and you're worried about tomorrow? How can you pray, give us this day when you're not willing to be in today? Ever had one of those days where you, you, like you took a Sabbath and it was festive and joyful and there was rest and celebration and there was community, there was a friendship, family, it was sweet and you weren't driven by productivity and then you probably found yourself saying at the end of the day, where did the hours go? Is, is this, wow, and you, you say those things and you feel those things, why? Because time for you on that day wasn't about productivity or efficiency or accomplishing anything. You weren't measuring time by what you were getting done that day. You were just in the moment. Anybody? And the scary thing is some of us are paying a few thousand bucks to get away to 30A and other places, Disney and whatnot. And we uh, were wanting that. That's the, the plan. But, but we're, we're not there. We're, we're here. We're not here. Give us this day. Scripture says an awful lot about the day how can you if you stock your refrigerator and stuff yourself when you don't know any fasting but only feasting by the way isn't that the sad reality of us that we can we can always be eating but never feasting because we need simplicity we need restraint we we need the fast we need to pull back we need to be right there in the moment God's job is tomorrow. Who needs to hear that today? God's job is tomorrow. Look at me. He's got tomorrow. You say, well, he's got tomorrow. He does. Psalm 84, 11. It's a good one to write down. I don't have it here, but Psalm 84, 11. He withholds no good thing from those who walk uprightly with him. I got to walk with God. I can't run ahead of him. I can't get behind him. I got to walk with him. I got to go at his pace. I got to be with him. I got to commune with him. I got to unload my burdens. I got, I got to say, here, you take it. I got to say, give me this day the daily bread that I need from you, but to walk with him. Listen, just a quick idea here about what we want and what we need and whatnot, if we could put that line up there. He won't give you all that you want. Thank God but he never gives you less than you need. Listen to me today. Second Peter 1, he gives us everything we need for life and godliness. First Timothy 6, he gives us richly all things to enjoy. John 3, 16, for God so loved he gave his only son. John 1, 12, I share this passage at every single funeral I preach. But as many as received him, to them he 
gave the right to become children of God. Our God, your God, is a giver. And he will meet your needs. But listen to me this morning. Notice the pronoun is our bread. God, give us this day our daily bread. Today's sermon as we end is brought to you by Broad Street Bakery of Fondren. Free bread and a gift card I got today. God is good. This is not prayer. Did anybody notice this, is not, this prayer is not, God, give me my bread. This prayer is, give us this day our daily bread. And so for most of us in the room, look, I walked outside my house three nights ago, turned to go on a run, and there was a man who had fell out of his wheelchair that was on Frontage Road right there at I-55, a mile from here, that was groaning in pain and didn't have much of anything. And so while most of us who are in this house today are watching from home or will listen later, look, your pantry's stocked. But give us this day our daily bread. If you look at all of the Scripture, listen, very clear. The God who gives to us wants us to give to others. So if you have a slice you can, and you have a second slice, you can say, oh, I got a slice today and I'm storing it for tomorrow. Or you could say, I got a slice for today and I'm going to share with somebody who needs bread today. And that reflects the heart of Jehovah Jireh, our God who provides. So as our team comes up and we move toward prayer, I want to ask you to join me as we pray in closing. Our Father, give us this day our daily bread. Well, another promise that the Scripture makes about day is that it says that we are that the, the outward man is wasting away. Translation: You're dying. <laughs> we're dying. In fact, uh, I won't win points for this, but we're all in the process of dying because the outward man is wasting away, but the inward man is being renewed day by day. Not all at once, not in one fell swoop, but day by day. And can I tell you, man, we write poems about it, preachers preach about it, it's in songs, modern praise songs and hymns of old. But so few of us grasp it. God is calling us to live today, to be in today and to take his provision. Every bite and every breath, every day, and every dollar is a gift from him. God, thank you that you give as we move towards singing before we leave and giving, taking up the offering. God, would you remind us today that you have given to us and in giving to us, we are to follow you. We don't just applaud your generosity, but we walk in your generosity. And so bless these tithes and offerings today. Extend your kingdom Lord, you've never called us to do the Star Trek prayer. Beam me up, Scotty. Take me to heaven. Get me out of this mess. You actually call us to pray that your kingdom would come to this earth, that you would bring heaven to earth, and that you would use us for kingdom purposes. And before we pray about our daily needs, we offer 
to you who you are and drawn to the greatness of who you are. God, would you move in this place? In Jesus, we pray. Amen. Would you stand? And uh, before we go, we got a few minutes. We hadn't done this in uh, 16 months or so, but the 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 altar is open today. And so here's what I want to ask of you today. If you want to bend the knee, as scripture talks about, I noticed a few minutes ago, a lot of you bowed your head and closed your eyes, you creatures of habit. I didn't, I didn't give you a command. Just to, we just do that. Right. But you know, the beautiful posture that talks uh, about in scripture is the bended knee. And, uh, maybe today you want to come and bend your knee right here down front at this altar, would you, would you have the courage, the boldness to do that as a physical manifestation of, of an inward reality that you need or someone else needs? Um, we're going to be down here. I'm going to be down here. My microphone will be off. I would love the honor of praying with anybody today that would want to come. A spiritual decision that you need to make. A prayer that you need to be prayed for. In anything today, let's reserve these few moments. Let's give this time to Him. Come today to pray.